Alright. Konbanwa Damien san Ogadashi. Okay, I understood everything you said. Great. So, welcome to another Never Stay Dead. Tonight's, or today's, depending on your listening pleasure, stintillating tale that we're going to be covering is known simply as Wolverine. Or I guess I should say Marvel's Wolverine. (laughs) And this is the four-issue mini that was Claremont's first breakout from taking X-Men characters and doing more than just uncanny. And so this was something of a landmark moment, uh, not only because of all that, but also because it was Claremont who was at the top of his game at this point, along with, you know, this up-and-comer, Frank Miller. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Miller had come up very fast. Yes. And I I looked at the time that this first issue came out of uh, Wolverine number one, Miller had still about five or six issues left in Daredevil. So he must have done his last issues of Daredevil and Wolverine around the same time, roughly. Well, when you say his last issues, you mean his initial run or when he was of his initial run before he left Marvel to go do Ronin. So he uh, left Marvel, did Ronin. I'm not sure if he came back to Marvel and did more Daredevil before doing um, the Batman Dark Knights Returns, or if if then he came back to Daredevil after Batman Dark Knights Returns. But so this is both the peak and near the end of his first kind of run at Marvel. Because he he basically became a superstar within the little comics world uh, within a couple of years. Right, and I don't... I believe you read the same intro I did of Claremont talking Chris about Claremont, it. Yes. Yeah. And Chris Claremont was kind of bemoaning the fact that Frank Miller seemed to take to the act of writing right out the gate, seemingly, and also was this rock star artist. Right. Yeah. He, he talks a lot about what a great writer Miller is. And then, um, talks about how they were on a six-hour car ride together in which they talked about Wolverine and kind of came up with the basic ideas or the basic approach to this series. And that's what convinced Miller to go ahead and do it because at first he didn't want to draw any Wolverine. I found really confusing because Claremont saying that Frank Miller didn't want to do a character that was just like Berserker Rage and, you know, just this like anger cannon pointed the way he goes well miller wouldn't want to do something like that that and i'm thinking like well this is the guy who did sin city that doesn't ring true to me (laughs) so i I thought it was odd it seemed strange that he was not interested in wolverine and who knows what you know frank miller's memory of that conversation might have been he might have viewed it quite differently maybe he was interested uh, but that's what he made Chris Claremont think at the time that he wasn't interested. Well, and it's also funny. I think you pointed this out too that uh, Chris Claremont was going about how they came together on the story and what they wanted to tell right. him, writing it through. And then you get to the credits, and he just refers. We get to the credits, and it is not credited as co-plotted or anything like that. Right. And Claremont just at the end of his uh, introduction just talks about you know 
writers and what writers do um, and doesn't sort of swing back to the fact that he and, and Miller seem to have come up with it together. And maybe I'll come back to that. In my, in my eyes, this feels more like a Miller project than a Claremont project in a way. Okay. In a lot of, on a lot of levels, not every level, but um, yeah. Is there any, anything more you wanted to say kind of introductory to this? Or? Well, I, I thought that writing bit was interesting about how Miller took to the act of writing and whatnot. And we've covered a lot of Miller's <clears throat> earlier works in some of our other episodes. And we covered some of Claremont's earlier work in X-Men. And I thought it was funny how we talk about how we liked a lot of the Miller stuff, but that early Claremont stuff, I was kind of pointing to, this doesn't feel like Claremont yet. And uh, it would seem he would tend to agree that he was still, you know, getting his chops and figuring it out. Right. So, I mean, he may just be, be being nice to Frank Miller, but it seems like he's saying Frank Miller developed as a writer much more quickly than I did. I mean, I and think that's apparent in the work. Fair. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and Frank Miller sort of hit the scene, I guess, within the level of mainstream comics as fairly revolutionary. And, and Claremont was maybe more evolutionary within, again, within that context of things. Yeah. Um, it, he at the time probably did not feel like a radical change but you slowly realized he was doing something different than other writers had done in the past. Well, and Claremont kept going and going and well, going, sure, yeah. and whereas Miller fell off, basically. Yeah. Well, he sort of took the superstar route, whether or not, even though Claremont was a superstar too, of just everything he did was a special event. He didn't do regular comics past this point. Mm -hmm. So, um, you said something in Japanese, I think, which I assume was because this almost the entirety of this book takes place in Japan, except right. for the first few pages. Right, right, right. And I don't know if it introduces the idea that that um, Wolverine is almost Japanese, as one character says. He's not quite Japanese, but he's very close for a Westerner. Um, yeah, he's as Japanese as a Westerner could be, basically. Right. Um and had, had that, do you think that had occurred earlier in the X-Men or is this news to, it was news to me, I think when I read it, but, but I don't recall if there was something else. Well, I mean, to that level, this would be relatively new, I'd imagine. I haven't read all the issues, maybe I'm missing something, right. but I do know the X-Men had gone to Japan and immediately Claremont established that Wolverine had some sort of connection to Japan because he's sitting there looking at a newspaper and talking to Cyclops about some event that happened and Cyclops like why don't you know more because he knew a little bit about it, an event that had just happened and Wolverine says I only know what the newspaper is telling me you can read Japanese <laughs> yeah Bob I didn't know that you never asked I right so yeah so maybe I'd have to go back to figure out whether Claremont had weaved that stuff in. I, I feel like <clears> he was building it and there's that Japanese connection there, but I mean, we never really explored it until this. And right. th there's certainly levels to that. And I've heard some professionals talk about it on the, um, what is it? The pull list podcast with agent M they brought in mm -hmm. uh, Ryan Stegman to talk about Wolverine not too long ago. And they briefly mentioned, you know, this whole Japanese connection, how, 
you know, that was really set up with the story. Is Mariko like there was a female Japanese character who in some brief moment when they were in Japan mm-hmm. had an interaction with him, but I didn't go back to check if that was the same. I, I did. Um, it is Mariko and um, they meet in a garden and he's just uh-huh. kind of entranced with her beauty, but it's a really light connection and she almost seems like a different character than the one that we find in this book, but it is her. Um, Yeah. There had to be more between this book and that initial meeting, but I haven't come across that yet. So, I mean, cause the, the driver of the plot is that Wolverine is madly in love with Mariko Mm -hmm. and she loves him too but he discovers that she she stops communicating with him and refuses to see him or answer his calls. And so he travels to Japan and discovers that she has gotten married mm-hmm. to a man chosen by her father who had been absent for years or decades, suddenly showed up and says, you have to marry this man. So she, for uh, Japanese honor, mm-hmm. um, marries the man without any question and I think in this first issue, yeah, Wolverine discovers that um, that her husband beats her. Mm-hmm. And as he goes to, um, he wants to beat up the husband, but Mariko won't let him. And then he ends up in a fight with Mariko's father, Lord Shingen. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce these things. That's Lord okay. Shingen. And amazingly, Lord Shingen defeats him. And, well, or amazing to me he seems to easily defeat him he he cheats a little with some poison on the blades and stuff but it was a right. wooden blade so that's a little unclear to me it, yeah so i are, are we just doing the quick uh, this is what happens in the first issue so i'm just one more thing in the first issue is then he's kind of after he's defeated he's thrown out the window and he's pretty much a mess and can hardly move and some thugs come to cut him up and beat him up or whatever they want to do and rob him. And some mysterious woman comes along and rescues him by throwing knives into the bad guys and killing them. And that's the end of issue one. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the, um, the overall is kind of the fall. This, this issue is the the first issue is the fall of Wolverine. Right. Well, you got to establish threats and like, what's going to be a problem for this guy, but he's going to fall even further. Um, Although, did you, the, so the, the whole story starts with a kind of prelude where Wolverine hunts down a, a, a maddened bear who's mm-hmm. been killing people. And he kills the bear rather gruesomely because we see his, especially for, I think this might be the only blood shown in the comic is the bear's blood mm-hmm. <clears throat> a little bit. He, he actually whacks the bear's arm right off and then he kills the bear. And then he goes and hunts down the hunter who shot poison arrows at the bear, which right, I guess so is parallel to him being poisoned later. The reason he hunts the bear is because the bear has been driven mad and it's taken out like a couple families and some other passerbys. And so he has to hunt the bear because he's been called in to do so, basically. But he realizes what happened was that the bear was poisoned. And so he goes and gives his level of justice to the hunter who did that and he he basically said the murder was on that hunter's hands more so than the bears and so 
there's a few things established there. I mean, A, how canny he is and how able he is to fight a grizzly bear. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, also his idea of understanding and working through, but also this kind of like animalistic side of the character. Um, because Claremont's trying to set up this idea of the failed samurai, but before we even get there, we have to get to the base of Wolverine, which is Canadian, which I want to ask you about this. Does this fit more of a mold of Canadian that was in pop culture at the time, somewhere of this like outdoorsman kind of idea? Because yeah, like like Canada's more like a wilderness or frontier. Um, you know, when this came out, I was 20 years old, maybe. I'm not sure what clear picture I had of Canada at the time. Mm -hmm. There were there was some comedians who played Canadians and they they were always wearing flannel shirts and down vests and things like that. So there was a sense of them being kind of rough and ready outdoors people, but kind of goofballs too. Um, in the popular media at the time. Yeah, I'm just not imagining, say, Wolverine saying sorry, you know, eating ketchup right. chips and poutine and uh, I don't right. know. Just this doesn't... could be as much a cliche of the Rocky Mountains in the eyes of people who don't live in Colorado as, as Canada, I would think. Yeah, I, I mean. Mountains and wild animals and bears and hunters and stuff like that. Yeah, Lodge, no. I... Lodges where people are drinking and wearing flannel shirts <laughs> i mean i could see that kind of bar up you know mountain towns not too far from where i live i yeah like i i didn't think about this with canada but i definitely thought in terms of japan like how much does chris claremont know about japan how, how right on is he about all this honor stuff and and that's what i was going to say is i think the weakest part of this story is yukio uh -huh. um, this whole honor bound thing that you were talking about with her needing to appease Mariko, you mean M Mariko's, you know, married to this man because her father wanted her to be. So it's something about honor, but it's also business and all that. But right. But and the she... idea that they are, are they nobility? Is there, is there <laughs> Japanese nobility still? And do they still follow like some ancient rules and everything? Or is this all just pulp fiction in a sense? I mean, A, this was the 80s, so I mean, things have changed right. since what I know. And I don't mean uh, to put you under too much pressure. I know you know more about Japan than I do, but that doesn't make you the world's greatest expert on Japan. Hardly. <laughs> um, but I mean, the idea that there are certain families and that there are still some castles around is true. How many are privately owned still? There's still some. There are still like private graders right. around that you can trip into and things like that. Like this would be, but I mean, they do kind of get to this when we come back to X-Men away from this mini, um, I mean, she's essentially nobility. Like this would be like you ending up with someone who has a grand mansion in, um, in America. It, it would be very ornate. It, it would be a lot like this is a big deal. Right. And so that's part of the reason why it almost makes sense for her to be like this. But I feel like it doesn't read as well today as it did back then. Because, I mean, yeah. this is closer to a, um, I don't know, a British story about people needing to keep appearances and their stance in society. And it just feels more alien now to me. Right. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, as we quickly realize that her father is kind of like a Japanese kingpin or something. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, that also made me wonder is, is, was he ever really nobility or is he just like this criminal whose claims to be noble? Well, um, and we never learn, we never learn his background or how he got to be what he is or anything like that, at least not here. I mean, there's, yeah, there's some of that that I think you just kind of hit on with it. Um, he he's has some stance nobility, but it is partially through what are illegal dealings, but that isn't so, that isn't so far off, but there isn't a lot of like Yakuza Tahirs and whatnot, which would be right. very possible. They end up going much more superhero with it, which is fine. But I thought this scene, although this, it, that top right panel you're looking at there, uh-huh. This one I think is the worst line in the entire oh, right. uh, right hand one. The next one. Yeah. Where, um, with Boken, a wooden practice sword. Like either have Boken and then like have a little caption of wooden <clears throat> practice sword or say a wooden practice sword, but saying that's just clunky. I know it's a nitpick, but it I think I was so used time. to that kind of thing in comics where there'd be little exp explanations in the dialogue that I, I don't even notice it. But this idea that, you know, they're in a kendo match, basically, and, you know, I used to be good with a sword. You know, he's a master. And he right. handily takes care of Wolverine, despite his physical advantages, kind of works here. Because part of what's hampering Wolverine is that he's not willing to go to his normal, more bestial fighting mm -hmm. stance. And for it, he loses. That's a very good point that he's holding back, except that they don't emphasize that he's holding back. So it makes it seem more like he's a superhero being beaten by an older man who just happens to be well-versed in sword play. Until this point where he throws away the sword and he comes at him with the claws and True. they start talking about how he's being a bit dishonorable and doing this. And the guy's still able to handle him because he's a kendo master. I mean, mastering that spacing and hitting all that like it doesn't matter if wolverine can heal a bit more if he's just getting thwacked on you can't touch mm -hmm. the guy well it's one of, for me it's one of those things that you just have to accept that i had a little trouble accepting at first especially as the comic went on in, in the next issues um well can I, I, can I talk about what happens in issue two yet or do you want to just stay well, focused on issue one well i just want to like uh hit on this a little bit more like um the reason why i think this reads is partially because wolverine wasn't the way we understand wolverine now where he can heal back from like a single limb or a single atom or right. wherever they're at nowadays right this like, is a much more believable healing process that wolverine has now it takes some time possibly a day or two to heal from things but if if there's a lethal blow he'd be done right they talk about wanting to cut his heart out right as a way to make sure he stays dead but I, I the fact that he loses so dishonorably by casting away his sword and doing this and then getting tramped you know with this you know he loses in the eyes of his lover his honorability and it's essentially over which was that fall you're talking about so yeah right and he's they say he's an animal in human form mm -hmm. and then he's knocked into unconsciousness and then he's saved by this strange woman who says you are mine wolverine now and forever and that's yes. dun 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 the end of the issue 
It's not what we all want. Um, yes, I've been I've been waiting for you to say that to me. <laughs> and then in issue, at the beginning of issue two, he just wakes up from blackness, and the woman's slapping him to wake him up, and they're being attacked by large numbers of ninja from the hand, which is supposedly in the Marvel universe now, as created by Frank Miller already in Daredevil, the most deadly group of ninja assassins in the world, right? Right. So I mean, here's what confuses me. This woman who had to save him now needs him to save her against overwhelming odds. There's a beautiful picture right here, by the way, on the, the double page spread on the second page mm -hmm. where a Wolverine smashing through the window and facing, you know, probably at least a dozen ninjas around the page, some with bows and arrows, some with swords. Um, so anyway, uh, suddenly he's more of a superhero, I felt like. The previous issue, he had trouble or could not defeat one man who was, you know, a master of his uh, martial art. But now he's facing a score or more of uh, of masters of martial arts and he's slaughtering them by the uh, by the pound well it's the transitive property of ninjas <laughs> the more there are the less powerful they are until you get to the last one and then you have that you know big heroic duel. right well <clears throat> anyway i mean all of this can be explained away it just sort of took me aback a little bit because i was saying oh they made him more human and easy to defeat and suddenly he seems unbeatable again and he's just woken up from unconsciousness but um and he has to rescue this woman that's the other thing this maybe she's letting him rescue her because later we see her fight off large numbers of ninjas by herself also well and we know that she's putting him in a position from later in the book but i don't know if we want to talk about that yet okay well i'll just quickly we um they then go to his hotel room and somewhere along the lines we we learn her name is yukio mm -hmm. um sorry i have my notes there and um she wants him to sleep with her and he won't because of mariko and but she convinces him to help her with this mission to um maybe that comes later I'm sorry, but she convinces him to come help her on a mission to um, assassinate another um, mobster, Yakuza type. Uh -huh. But before that, we learn that she actually works for Lord Shingen, the father of Mariko, right. the evil, possibly noble um, dude who abuses her completely and tells her he has to, she has to use Wolverine to kill their target and then kill Wolverine too. And we get all through this, we get really cool art. And I, I don't think the inker Rubenstein was right for um, Frank Miller that way. So sometimes he made, he sort of emphasized the clumsiness of Frank Miller's figures. But as I was, it's been a while since I've read some Frank Miller. And as I was going through this, maybe since the last time you and I did some Daredevil, I was just thinking every time I would look at a panel, he not only is a master at arranging the panels on the page, but he's a master of the composition within each panel. Each panel is a mini sort of compositional 
masterpiece, I think, of comic book storytelling. But his actual figure art, his actual draftsmanship is probably on the on the lower side in terms of great comic book artists. What I think stands out more with Miller, especially in this book, even compared to his others, is the backgrounds and the setting it has so much love and care put into it. You can feel where they are, where they're at in a castle or eventually like dealing with the Shinkansen or whatever. It's just there's a lot of feeling in that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think of that. I was just thinking of the sort of the storytelling and the and the um, the layouts and everything. But I mean, the, the story just to me visually just moves and moves and moves. And there's a lot of violence and a lot of action in this. I wonder if this was a, at the time, because it's still um, Comics Code Authority and it's 1982. I wonder if this was one of the most violent comics at the time, even though we never really see much in the way of blood, even though lots of people are stabbed and cut and slashed. Yeah, probably. But so he and Yukio break their way into the person that Wolverine thinks is the bad guy that they're taking out castle where Mariko and her husband are also there in a negotiation with this guy. And so we just get a lot of cool fight scenes. Mariko witnesses Wolverine being a going into berserker mode. Mm. And then she is horrified with him. And that in theory is the end of their ever having love. You know, she utterly disdains him and uh, the issue ends with Yukio thinking that she's got him. She's got Wolverine now as her lover, I guess, because Mariko's so horrified by him. Right. Although we we still know that she's supposed to kill him. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't quite sure at the end of this issue if she was going to become his lover or kill him. Why not both? Uh, yes, which is what it turns out. Well, no. <laughs> it, she, it seems she wants to keep him alive we find in the next issue mm-hmm. and then at the beginning of the issue three he's really at the bottom he's basically a drunken brawler at illegal fights in whatever nightclubs have illegal fights in them i've never stumbled across an illegal fight club nightclub really they're probably all over the place in tokyo right yeah totally well it's also the 80s right and his friend, who's a secret agent in Japan, tries to kind of pull him in and get him to go on a mission with him. And, you know, in a sense, off, offering out, reaching out to him for some redemption and Wolverine turns, turns him down. Mm-hmm. There's another great splash page. Stan Lee presents Loss. Well, and here's another one of those settings I'm talking about. They're on the Shinkansen tracks and uh-huh. you can really see it now. So that that rings true to you, what we're seeing there. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a scene where we see how crazy Yukio is. She wants to go have sex on the railway tracks just before the train's about to arrive. Mm. And it's a bullet train that's going 300 miles an hour. Right. Which gives Frank Miller more chance to do beautiful compositions. And I mean, there, I think we really have it established. Like she's appealing to Wolverine's animal side versus we have appealing to his better nature. Right. Mariko is the side of him that wants to be civilized. And and then the main, the rest of the main action of this issue is a whole bunch of the hand ninjas again are sent to kill them. This time for real, apparently before it was just for show to convince Wolverine to help her 
fight on her side. Mm -hmm. But now the ninjas are supposed to, the hand ninjas are supposed to kill them both because Lord Shingen is, is tired of her not obeying his commands to kill Wolverine. Right. And and he ends up, so after a lot of fighting, well, actually, he he realizes that she has killed his friend, the Japanese secret agent. So he goes after her, but in the process, the ninjas show up and we have a big fight with ninjas in a Japanese Zen garden. Mm -hmm. And after defeating all the ninjas there, he has a moment of deep philosophical realization that that he is still himself and that he is a man after all, and he's going to go act like a man. And yeah. just because he makes mistakes, it doesn't mean that he isn't a man. Yeah. It just means that he's pushing through, which is interesting because, I mean, this is supposed to be a big moment of revelation for the character and taking him away from being such the bestial character to being a more balanced character. And apparently there were some, there were some letters decrying this decision, saying, you know, Wolverine's supposed to be a certain way, and this is character growth, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's character growth, at least in this miniseries, right? Does it stick? I think it does a bit, uh, um, and until like until you get to like Larry Hama doing uh, Wolverine, then they do the, a lot more of the bestial stuff. But yeah, yeah, and I read a lot of Larry Hama, <laughs> but um, and I I think always I mean I think the point of Wolverine is that bouncing back and forth between civilization and wildness. Maybe at first he was just a foil to the civilized side of the other X Men, but when you want to examine him as a character on his own he has to have he has to have that struggle he has to have those two sides or he's not an interesting character i guess there that goes back to frank miller at first thinking he didn't want to do wolverine maybe not because he was against an ultra-violent character but he was against a one-sided character perhaps right supposedly i think wolverine's evolved beyond this at this point though but i mean this was also decades ago and he's had how many comics so many right <laughs> and i and you know it's the case with all the big superheroes they've had they've been taken in every direction possible over time right unfortunately and then we get the you know the ultimate issue all of these issues have these really great covers which were kind of unusual covers at the time because they're just a single figure and i don't think you saw that in covers back then Usually there was an expectation that covers would be real storytelling covers with, you know, a scene acted out on the cover. I didn't think of that. That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know if this started, you know, was one of the early examples of what I call the posters type of cover, but um, it may be, at least at Marvel. So in the final issue, uh, Wolverine this basically dismantles Lord Shingen's crime crime apparatus, right? He tears apart his drug trade and whatever other crime things he does. We're we're given just a little bit of that, and then we have Lord Shingen uh you know worrying what's I've got to take care of this Wolverine. He's he's destroying everything. Yeah. And it's it's pretty basic, right? Uh mm -hmm. He goes to fight Lord Shingen. Um, Mariko, not Mariko, Yukio is, 
Uh, by this point, Mariko has realized her father is evil and is starting to say, maybe there isn't honor in doing everything he tells me to do. Yukio is following Wolverine as, as he enters the fortress of Lord Shingen. And um, in the course of all the tussling, she kind of saves Mariko's life. So that makes up somewhat for Wolverine's desire to kill her, for her having earlier killed his friend, the Japanese secret agent. And, right. and Wolverine gets his big battle with Lord Shingen, the, the father of the woman he loves, and he kills him. Which all these pages um, that you're going by, I feel are defined by like a actionally, but also there's like a bit of negative space on each page. You're right. That's taken advantage of, which I think this this issue I feel is like where we got Frank Miller standing out. Um, the action drawing Frank Miller, yeah. Well, and before that, there's the sequence where he's chasing yukio i believe or maybe that was in the third issue i'm sorry um he chases yukio in the third issue yeah yeah which is and, also very visually stunning yeah and then there is some really cool stuff there but like in this page here it gets the idea i wanted to talk about where like the details of the background are pretty mm -hmm. minimal but they're there to establish like what's needed for the action like okay they're on this wooden bridge so there's going to be some sounds some tactile ideas but there's also the layer like right under the bridge so that idea of deception or the net you know mm -hmm. uh, you get a little bit of texture of it but then the scale of it and so on it's just right. like it's exactly the visual information you need for well and he uses all this visual information also in a highly artistic compositional way this isn't just seeing a net capturing a woman. It's it's a whole designed panel. Mm. Um, and then each one of the panels on this page that we're looking at, each one has its own sort of design element and its um, composition that guides your eye in a different way through the panel. So it, it heightens the action beyond just displaying the action. It, the, the, the design work, I think, gives it sort of an emotion and an excitement totally that most other artists don't usually try to go for or even think about i think i suspect right and it's funny to tell you can tell where the comics more miller and more claremont simply by the amount of world word balloons you know shoved it like <laughs> that's a claremont page well one presumes they worked with a supposedly a a, a plot from claremont then Miller drew it and then Claremont came back and, and put in dialogue where he felt it was needed. Mm -hmm. But but I suspect, I bet, you know, we'll never know, but I bet that if there was a plot written up by Claremont that Miller changed a lot. <laughs> right. It just feels so Miller to me. And I guess we both read uh, the follow-up issues in the X-Men where Mariko and and Wolverine almost get married. Yeah, they feel they like, feel completely different to me in terms of the writing. They are, but it's like a different writer was writing, which is what what really led me to think that uh, that Frank Miller was somehow steering the boat here. But more so than other minis or other like tie-ins or whatever, we have this image that we end on. Which, by the way, guys, uh, when I finished the story, I just sent a message that said hey elf don't forget the beer and damien was like what i hadn't finished reading it yet 
I thought I thought you had sent me a text message to the wrong person. Like you had a friend that nicknamed Elf over there in Colorado that we were gonna have beer with that night. I wish. <laughs> um, but what's funny is this image is more or less reproduced on the cover of the X-Men issue that you know yeah. follows. X-Men 172. Except the image is so much more. I, I think that closing image is the worst image Frank Miller did for the entire mini. It, this yes. cover just looks so much better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not that last page where the X-Men are receiving an invitation from Wolverine. It almost, it almost took me out of the story. It just like, it didn't have the same energy. Well, it was an epilogue basically yeah. it's the last little page to take this tale that we've had and move it into the continuity so that we can continue right i felt like i felt like for four issues we got wolverine as a frank miller character with mm. a little bit of softening from um from chris Claremont. but it has that doomed romantic violent kind of vibe that we've seen in a lot of frank miller from daredevil to um uh, Sin City and some other stuff Miller's done, but particularly Daredevil and Sin City. It felt in the, in the tune with those series. Well, I mean, the whole doomed love angle feels right at Mark with Claremont too, though, which we get in the issue three issues after. Um, well, but the doomed love with Claremont or any love with Claremont is kind of talky and... I don't know. It feels at a lower level than the operatic, violent level of stuff in Miller to me. I'm well, sure this is truly a, a collaboration between them, but I just sort of suspect they should have said, you know, co-created or co-plotted by Miller and Claremont, not just Claremont. Sure. As writer and Miller as penciler. Though I think Chris Claremont goes more for the soap than the opera, I guess, if you will. Right. Right. And, and Miller goes more for the opera and things in the other thing is in things in Miller happen very fast. You establish the love in a few pages and then you shatter it a few pages later. <laughs> uh -huh. Whereas I think the Claremont way would be to build up for a long time and then have a, a slower shattering too, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and it could be the same amount of pages, but those pages would take place in different comics because you'd have this thread going and then it might echo right. something happening elsewhere. Yeah. So part of it might be the nature of doing a miniseries focused on just one character rather than writing a group comic. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the however people are credited, the Marvel method means that the writer is responding to the way the artist drew things. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that that's a lot why I, as a kid, followed artists, not writers, because if the right artist was on it, it was exciting. And the writer wrote more exciting stuff to go with it than if a dollar artist was on a comic, I think. Fair enough. And so so even, even the because of the Marvel method, even the writing would change depending on how the art, art paced things out. Yeah. And I think you see that when we get to the uncanny issues by comparison that are right. following direct plot lines and dealing with a lot of the same characters but just feels different yeah it, it feels 
more, I don't know, more civilized. <laughs> sure. But I, I still think, you know, this is beautiful. There's composition. There's still even some use of negative space, which I right. don't, I don't remember seeing in many comics, even around the time. Um, right. And, and Paul Smith, who, who did the work on about a year's worth of uh, X-Men at the time was very celebrated and everyone was very excited over his art. It seems less exciting to me now, but I remember everyone thinking it. Well, like very cool. So that if you go back one, that silver samurai, uh, silver samurai setup panel, like beautiful, and that's really yeah. textured and great. I, I, I really like his stuff. I, I think it's. I mean, personally, I like a little more than Miller's. Well, he he is a better um, artist in terms of the actual drawings, but I don't. And he's a pretty. He's quite a good storyteller, but I just don't. I don't find as much energy in his storytelling as, as Miller. So I prefer Miller. I mean, that's fair. I think there's a lot of energy, especially when you see stuff like you know, that dynamic Wolverine diving in or mm -hmm. Storm swooping through. Figures always seem to be kind of small in Smith's panels. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we get to continue the story of Yukio, uh, Wolverine, and Mariko in these two issues. Right. And we also get a big character moment for rogue which right where rogue becomes a punk rocker <laughs> and she's very influenced by yukio apparently that's storm right storm did i say rogue sorry man mm -hmm. you were talking about rogue and i was talking about storm well and what's interesting about that too is i i've read an essay talking about how that yukio and storm moment is supposed to be sexually charged and i'm reading this again and i'm like i just don't I don't see it. People love to read into things, I suppose. Right. There's a lot more panels <laughs> in mm -hmm. the Smith stuff. And hey. so you pack a lot more story in a way <clears throat> into each issue. I mean, this is a lot more Claremont. And so it feels like, yeah, each issue is about the equivalent of two of something else. Like there's so many plot threads and character moments and it all just goes. I feel the emotions, the tragedy and the, the stuff is m at a much higher level in the Miller issues than here, even though uh, in the final issue, to spoil it, Yukio dumps, <laughs> dumps Wolverine at the altar, of course. Right. And someone has kind of hypnotized her or poisoned her mind. It's mastermind. And yeah, oh, right. she's messing with her um it looked like master the shadow of mastermind at some point although it kind of looked a little bit like scott summer's father that's because mastermind's you know pretty version of himself is also brown hair and all that but corsair is actually handled in those mastermind was disguised as as corsair's father because i can't remember <laughs> the storylines of this era even though i know i i read them all but yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, here, I mean, we get a lot of Japanese affectations in this story as well that are very on key. So I'm guessing Claremont had a fair amount of notes. Yeah, I don't know, because we know that Frank Miller was really into manga and was one of the earliest people to obviously take an interest. Mm -hmm in in kind of the asian scene and bring what he discovered into his comics so i don't know if he stirred up claremont's interest or claremont might have already also 
uh, been into researching a lot about Japan or spent time in Japan for all I know. Right. I, it would sure seem that Claremont did, and that precedes these issues by a lot as well. Um, but Claremont was a military brat and tra traveled around a lot, so... Oh, okay. He got a lot of that as he was growing. Um, but yeah. So, it, but it's um, so... You know, like, I'm now looking at the page where... Uh, Mariko rejects rejects Wolverine, and it's so low key in my mind compared to the way things happened in the Miller issue. So this is, to me, is a beautiful looking page. It sort of illustrates to me the difference. <laughs> well, and I feel like part of it's the story here. Like part of it, and I just think, I think Mariko is just kind of a lame duck character. Like she just does things for right. reasons that don't make sense to her or anyone else, but she feels honor bound to do them or whatever. And it's just, and that's it. Uh, At this point, it's because she's it. been mentally manipulated. Right. But we haven't seen any signs of it prior. So it just kind of comes where right. you're not worthy, Gaijin. And it's like, okay. But in the in Wolverine solo things, there were, big moments big emotional moments where she watches him be a berserker and kill people and decides he's not worthy here it right. says she says there will be no wedding he says why she says because gaijin you are not worthy mm -hmm. it seems like both not just a failing of the artist but a failing of chris claremont there too of both of them to make this a big moment well and the this big is where i think that miller is a better storyteller than than they are well, I also think this is the miniseries versus the series ongoing, because here, this is a cliffhanger. You want well, sure. to know why we get Wolverine <clears throat> with the single tear is so sad. Yes. But he is a, he appears to be a far less emotional, a much more emotionally controlled person here than in the in the solo book. I mean, I, I like the, I like this and I like the pace and the way uh, Claremont and Paul Smith tell the story, but just when I compare it side to side with Miller, it just seems so different. It seems like a whole different world of storytelling to me, I guess. That's fair. I mean, it is in some ways, like like I was saying, the mini and the ongoing, and there, there's definitely differences. There's no question. Yeah. Um, but they look, I don't know, to me, they don't look so far apart. Yeah, uh, we kind of discussed off air that to you, the the art styles between Miller and Smith don't seem that different, whereas to me, they seem wildly different. <laughs> and I think that's the difference between growing up with when comics had a, a more limited sort of palette of art styles, especially Marvel comics. So um, to me, this seems like oops, a very different drawing style. But to you, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just looks very, I don't know. I mean, I could tell it's different people, but it looks fairly similar to me, I guess. I don't know. A lot of panels, though. So overall, I mean, do you think, do you think of this as the defining series for Wolverine that all everything else was built on? Or is this just an incremental step of a Wolverine that was already being well-established in the regular X-Men comic, and then they just took a little side story that gave us a little more of Wolverine. Well, I don't think you could call this a little side story. Like, this is a big comic by any measure. 
and it was a big story for the character. It definitely drove him in a different direction, but I mean, it is more so than most minis or like, like, I think you want to talk about magic next, right? Yeah, I was going to suggest that that be our next, um, since it was the next mini series that Chris Claremont did. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, keep going. I, I just because I got all four of these issues just recently. So sure. Um, although obviously I could have read them digitally all along. Uh, but I'm with you. Yeah, I got them. Uh, getting, getting the four issues recently excited me to read them, especially as a follow up to the Wolverine. And I think it'll dovetail nicely with all your reading of New Mutants. So you'll have a lot of information at your fingertips about what happens after these issues. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Inferno <clears throat> conclusion to this. Oh, right. Um, but, but I mean, the Wolverine story is preceded by and dovetails immediately into X Men. So, I mean, it it, it runs very parallel, um, and there's some considerations for that and kind of the continuity aspects that they play with, which are pretty minor because they really just have to establish. Wolverine's gone for a while and then the X-Men meet up with him again in that issue that we talked about and then it continues but it, it's so part and parcel with it that it was a big moment for the character and so they they pulled him out and did this and then he continues so it, it just feels very different whereas Ileana was kind of window dressing before and then became a bigger character as a result of the mini right. it wasn't really a character in anything until over a year later. Well, as I think about this and think back to when I first read it, this was a in the nature of, you know, early 1980s superhero stories. This was like Wolverine in his non-superhero life. Mm -hmm. And this was Wolverine. This, you know, there was always hints of how violent Wolverine was, but this this is showing us this is what Wolverine's world is like when he's not in the X-Men and what and gives us lots of hints of what his world life was like before he was in the X-Men. And so it, it was kind of a, even though in the larger scheme of things, it's pretty minor in terms of its deviation from the world of superheroes. It seemed like taking a, a superhero character and putting him into a more not realistic, but into a different fictional context. Well, and I have it's kind to... of an exciting thing, an exciting moment. This was the this was only the second miniseries Marvel ever did. And the other one was Contest of Champions, which to me really doesn't count. So I feel <laughs> like it's their first real miniseries in terms of taking a character. And it's probably the success of this that then saw a whole succession of miniseries. You know, they had a a vision in Scarlet Witch miniseries, and they had that. Yeah. Ileana miniseries and they had a cloak and dagger miniseries yeah um, it just kept coming after that as a way to explore these characters who normally would just be uh, side characters or part of a, a group well it's how they test the water with some characters they weren't sure if they wanted to give an ongoing I mean that's what they True. did with Deadpool yeah I think it's one of the few characters that had two minis before they gave them an ongoing uh, well, um, when was that wasn't in the early 80s though if it was it was like the must have been 80s. created in the late 80s yeah oh no it was later but i'm saying that tradition continued for oh oh i see a while yeah. um but i don't even know if they knew they were testing the water at this point 
Like, I don't know if they no. were thinking maybe we'll have a long ongoing Wolverine series someday. Well, so this was the first mini of Claremont, which I know from something else I was watching mm -hmm. was they were pushing Claremont to do spinoffs and more books because X-Men were hotcakes, you know, they couldn't right. sell enough of them. So they wanted more and Claremont wanted to keep the artistic quality up. Right. And so I imagine this was something of a compromise where it was something he wanted to do. He got to work with Frank Miller, which I'd imagine he wanted to. Right. Um, and so it served Claremont's purposes and it probably was more doable to work with Frank Miller for just four issues than take up his time because he wants to write his own comics most of the time. Right. And so I, I think maybe there's some happy accident there, but also the success of this created a mold that, yeah, then continued how much the intent was there. And of course, it's also, you know, 81, 82 is when the comic book shops started taking off. And there you had a distribution system that was better suited to miniseries than than when it was the spotty newsstand kind of thing where you would do an ongoing story, but every every issue you would have to write as people's first issue. Although I notice Claremont doing it very well in every issue of this Wolverine mini of just bringing you up to speed really quickly mm. in a panel or two. Um, he's gotten much better at it than he was in the earlier X-Men, I would say. Right. And to what you were saying earlier, I mean, I read this long ago and I didn't really like it at all, but I mean, reading it again and kind of knowing a bit more like this was establishing a lot for the character and this was supposed to be more exotic, you know, like the idea of them being in Japan wasn't, but the idea of them diving this deep, I guess, in the area and playing with that was big. And it's all personal for um, Wolverine. There's no saving the world or he's, I mean, just by accident, getting rid of criminals, but that's not his goal to clean up crime in Tokyo. Mm. He's just there because he's in love and he's trying to work through his issues of, you know, am I a man or am I an animal kind of thing. Right. And to me, that's so like every Wolverine story. But of course it is, because this is the mold. This and is the so life, yeah. It makes me appreciate a lot more, but I didn't have that. So I kind of yeah. read it back when and just kind of, yeah, whatever. And right. coming back to it, I find it a lot more incredible. But it takes now a little more knowledge, I think, to get there because we're so used to this. I had trouble getting back into this at first because I have a Wolverine block at this point. I have read too many Wolverine stories. And I, I recall quite strongly when I, I sort of, came back to individual issue buying around 2010, 2011. And there were so many Wolverine comics out at that time. Yeah. And I would read some of them and they were just so over the top and ridiculous, you know, mm -hmm. you know where three quarters of his body has been destroyed and then it grows back in 10 minutes so he can keep fighting or something. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it, it's kind of, it went from, you know, oh, by the way, shocking detail, Wolverine is a superhero who kills people too. Just, yes, of course, Wolverine's, he's constantly killing people. That's all he ever does. And I just sort of, 
I lost interest in Wolverine. I was the last time I was a big fan of Wolverine. I guess was during the Larry Hama series with Mike, Mike Silvestri drawing him. Yeah, that was a while back. Probably circa 89, 90. Um, yeah. So to me, that I'd been reading plenty of Wolverine, and but anyway, I didn't. I didn't think I disliked the character though until coming back at that point and just reading all these random Wolverine stories all over the place. And he was in many of the X titles, even if it was a group, he was the lead character. Like mm -hmm. in uh, what was it called? Was it X Force or? I mean, the one that Richard done, wrote. He's been in X Force, X Men, Wolverine, right. Avengers, New Avengers, Fantastic Four. I... There, there was a plot line, I think, in X Force that I remember reading back around that time where he has to kill his own son. I mean, yeah. it's just Wolverine is the guy who kills, the guy who kills. And I just got kind of sick of that. Well, and so did they, actually. One of the best runs with that was Jason Aaron dealing with that with Wolverine and the X-Men where he had, uh, became the headmaster. And I never really, and I never read that. That's right. I, I sort of said, "Oh God, another Wolverine." But I heard that that was a great series. I remember people liking it. Yeah, and I I think that was really good for the character. And right now, his current scribe, uh, now that he's back from being dead, uh, Benjamin Percy, I think is the best writer for the character. And did he he um he worked on these two podcast told stories, Wolverine. The Long Night and something Hunt. I don't know. You can go find them, but I. So they're great. just stories from the podcast, or they're they're come from a podcast and then turned into a comic book. I think they were turned into a comic book at some point, but they were designed to be podcasts, and you can tell because they're not really done from Wolverine's perspective. They're done from these other characters, and they're trying to find Wolverine, and there's a lot to it, and they're really engaging um but benjamin percy's take on wolverine is a lot more of this mountain man earthy and very procedural storytelling and it just it really fits the character and hits a method and mode that i'm really engaged in always kind of waiting for that next issue more so than and is it still ongoing it. under benjamin percy Wolverine is ongoing, but right now it's in the middle of Hoxpox and currently the whole sword event. So it's it's not the same. It's different. And I'm, oh, well, I mean, I'm getting all of them anyways right now. So I, I remember hearing that Benjamin Percy was starting a new series, Wolverine series. And I, I'd had some mediocre experiences with Percy over at, at DC. So I didn't, I didn't look into it. That's fair. But maybe I should. I, I, well, I can because I have Marvel Unlimited. I can read it at any time now. Now I oh, there you go. It, it might be harder though because it's so caught up in continuity. Yeah, I'm more likely to want if I find the time to want to go revisit his Volume Two miniseries or not miniseries, um, regular series. That what did that go for? More than a hundred issues, I think. Yep. Although before that, there was Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Oh, was that a mini? Yeah, it was six issues. Maybe we can look at that if that was any good. Do you have you read that? I haven't read it. I'm hoping to soon, but I need to finish my new mutants run, which I'm in the last twenty issues. So, if there's a good Kitty Pride mini, I that's a good thing. I mean, I like Kitty Pride when she's done right. She's only been in a 
few minis, I believe, because there's that one, there's her as Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then um, there's one with her and uh, one of the characters from Excalibur, and I'm spacing his name, but she's not been as prominent as a character until more recently, I feel. So they felt the need to highlight her, I guess, but it's a very different vibe with her. Well, but meanwhile, we will we'll be back with uh, magic then. Yes, yeah. there's a very cool, which is drawn by John Buscema. But I think later in the miniseries, uh, Ron Friends takes over. I didn't realize that at first. But there aren't many times when John Buscema drew the X Men, so I was kind of excited. About that. Yeah, I'm kind of sad it's not sound now. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we're both tired and uh, we probably have babies to go spank. So yeah. I'm going to end the recording. <laughs>